Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room and let's hit him with the takeaway message of the day. Well, we're back after a little time off and we're ready to hit the ground running, just like the most commonly used phrase in uh, today's uh, Zoom call meetings. Uh, but one thing that's <clears throat> that I've been doing is uh, for a while I struggled with how do I stay productive and I didn't you know, there, I got a little inundated with the top 10 ways to work from home since I've been working from home for five years. Um, but what I figured out has been helping me is there's a lot of talk about goal setting. And I read this uh, thing from James Clear, which he wrote a book on atomic habits, but he, he challenges you to measure backwards instead of forwards. So you look at what you did the week, you know, the week, let's just say today's a Friday. What did I do yesterday? And so I have some metrics that I'm looking at. And one of them, I know we talked about this, but it's the number of Pomodoros I do. So that's just single focus, 25 minutes on one thing. And uh, so my, I have a certain goal per day and, or actually per week. And my goal is to just get, you know, one to two better every week. Um, and so that's been a really good way for me to focus on what to do. So I'm really excited about it. I think it's great. What's your daily average? I was just going to, I'm just looking up. So I have a app that tracks it for me. What's the app name? It's called Forest. So Forest uh, tracks everything in just a second. Let's do... Last week, uh, I did 19, so that's 19 divided by... You're in three a day, roughly. Yeah, three a day, four a day, which, you know, there was two days that I was in meetings almost the entire day, so that's pretty good. Um, that's, it's, obviously, I wish that would be better, but that's just work-focused stuff, which every day I want to get a little bit better. Yeah, um, I'm... I. I got tasked with a new project and um, was fortunate enough to have a week where I did not, I had like maybe two to three meetings a day. I had so many blocks of time where I could just crank stuff out. It was, it was a very productive week where I was actually able to produce work as opposed to just react to everybody who's asking for things. And it's very frustrating to do that all the time, but um, so what is this measuring backwards and forwards? Are there other um, metrics that you're looking at when you look back? Yeah, so I look at working out. Uh, I try to do um, three days of about an hour and then at least five days of 30 minutes. So obviously, are you doing are you doing in-home stuff or are you going out and running or what? I'm doing all outside. It has to be outside. So running, I've been biking. Um, I'm really trying to do, you know, I've been doing some high intensity interval training at a park near us where I'll go. They have a, they have a, a hill. So I'll be running hills. Nice. But, uh, you know, I've been tracking, you know, I, I use the whoop band, which yep. with that, tr that tracks your HRV and recovery score. So I've been trying to use that and it's, I will say that thing has helped me, and this is not a paid ad, but that thing has helped me just understand objective metrics. So I think that's been really positive for me, really positive. 
Cool. Um, um, and then books, books is reading is another thing. Well, ski season's right around the corner, so you got to get that, uh, get those quads firing. Yeah, quads, and then uh, trying to get my VO2 max up. So that's basically how how well can I breathe? So yep. I think that's a huge. I've I caught myself the last couple of years not being out of breath more than I'd like to. So, does Whoop measure VO2 max? No, it doesn't. Um, but they, you can kind of back into it by looking at heart rates and workouts. So if you're doing like, you know, they, if you, you look at what's your max heart rate. Okay. Yeah. So you're just trying to get your heart rate as high as possible. Yeah. You want to get it as like, you want to get it very high and then work out at that high, high heart rate. For as rate. long as you can. Or, you know, they say 30 minutes or 15 minutes, you know, however long, and then you obviously cool down. Yeah. Um, but I, it just it just whips you into shape, and I've been sleeping better, and you know I think though it's like I I don't want to overdo it when I'm looking at habits and stuff, so I've just tried to figure out what directly correlates with you know my lifestyle improvement, and I figured out working out is one, and then just cranking away. Um, those are kind of my big ones. I don't know about you, but. Um... This, the cool weather has helped my sleep patterns tremendously. I mean, opening the window at night and having it get down to <laughs> the 60, 50, 40 degrees. I love that. Gosh, it helps me sleep so much better. I know. It's so amazing. It's like, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, so with the, uh, with the cold comes uh, a new season of uh, we got football back on the agenda. We got, we got baseball going on. We got um, everything is coming back with an asterisk, uh, SNL included. And um, I was just curious, did you catch the latest episode? No, I'm so turned off by SNL. I, unless somebody tells me it was a good episode, I don't do it. Yeah. Um, I usually try and catch the YouTube version on you know, the YouTube clips the next day, just to see really if they've come up with anything funny. It's not even more about like enjoying the act of watching the show. It's like, okay, let's see if they, one, have got off their political high horse, which is way too all of a high of an ask. And two, have actually come up with anything creative that is funny. And it's, it's rare, but um, Bill Burr was the host and I was hoping they would come up with some really not very funny episode overall, super lackluster, but uh, there was some controversy around him, some some statements uh, that he made about uh, racism and white women and all this stuff. And what I thought was kind of funny is that my friends started a, a conversation about this during the week. So um, it was clear that everybody was stir crazy and I can tell that whenever I get a text message on a group me at, and my, my friends don't text often. So if it's, if it's a Wednesday or a Thursday, you know that some people are bored, which I think is kind of funny. Uh, so they, you know, people are firing messages back and forth and talking about this and that. And um, Burr was getting a lot of flack, which um, I thought was, was kind of interesting because um, stand up comedy to me is a, is, is something that's really, important for free speech 
And um, it's become such a platform that has been bastardized by political correctness that um, it's, it's hard to see. Uh, and I, I, I watched this Amazon Prime uh, movie called um, I'm Dying Up Here, which is a, uh, it's pretty raunchy, but it's a, I think it's a, sesh, it's a season worth watching if you're into stand-up comedy because they kind of peel back the underbelly of a comedian's life. And um, between listening to Rogan talk about, you know, when, I love when he has comics on because I think stand-up comedy is so, so interesting. But um, now, like I said, it's become this, you, you got to be within the lines of political correctness. And I thought Bill Burr did a impressive job of trying to break down some of those walls on a major platform, which was SNL. Granted, his angle was bashing white women, which, um, you know, say what you want about it. Pretty hot take. Not a lot of people going after white women these days. So um, obviously stirred up a lot of controversy. And I thought it was it was just a, it was a bold move to even take on that discussion about how like the racism movement and um, has been sort of cannibalized by white women, like, you know, persecuting white men. And so it was a, it was a really, it was a, even though they've been, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid for the last 50 years or whatever that was his point basically. But yeah. Well, I think, I, I think you bring up an important point about comedy and how it, you, you know, the, the importance of comedian, like free speech and comedy. Cause I think a lot of comedians say what are on people's minds, but they're too afraid to say it, you know? And that's why they get, they go pretty aggressive on some of their, their stuff. And a lot of people laugh and like it because it's kind of like a, a sigh of relief. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important to, because I, I do think it's so, imp it's so key for our culture to have this free speech thing. And I think we're starting to <clears throat> go down a dangerous path with um, controlling speech because, you know, there was so much free speech on the internet that apparently, you know, it's, it was going too far. So now people are trying to rein that back in and it is an extremely, this is a really tough thing. And I, you know, I, it'll be very interesting to see what happens um, when these larger internet companies testify on some of these uh, initiatives, because it's really difficult to control free speech. Um, and then this whole political correctness is really a, a tough thing because that, you know, in my view, it's, it's hard to have political correctness and diversity of thought. You know, you just, those two things are conceptually not the same thing. I don't know. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yep. Uh, because if you're trying to um, be, you know, appropriate to everybody, yet you're, you're not speaking what the thought is, that there's, it's hard to understand a lot of people's perspective. So, you know, you're, you're always going to be putting somebody down when you're, when you're thinking that you're going to be speaking politically. So. Well, and I think this is the, uh, this will be the most interesting five to 10 years of free speech or trials with free speech that we've had since the advent of the printing press. Um, 
and I guess the radio was another time where we really had um, uh, a lot of ease of dissemination of information. But um, the difference with the radio, it was consolidated to like one source. Um, the internet has flipped this on its side, on its head, similar to the printing press, how all of a sudden knowledge wasn't focused or wasn't consolidated to the church. Yeah. I mean, the printing press, was, outside of language, um, the printing press was like, in my, first of all, it was, um, it was, it coincided with the Enlightenment and the Reformation of the Catholic Church because now people were like, oh, it doesn't say I should actually pay you money to get my parent out of hell or out of purgatory, you know, like um, in the Bible. So I think that there, that this, the internet is going to, I mean, it's in the process of, of radically impacting free speech. Um, and I think we're just now catching the like ramifications of, of what that means. And I, I th we're still very much like a child playing with fireworks, like not really quite understanding um, what's going on. And, and it, it really displays, it's, it's quite obvious when you look at the behavior of, of people in the media. I mean, it's just, it's, it's all gas all the time. It's ridiculous, but um, it's uh, just a, a fascinating kind of aside overall. But um, one of the things we wanted to chat about today was, uh, was the economy because um, there seems to be a general consensus of everybody around that the stock market is overinflated. Uh, and I, I just listened to a great podcast um, by, um, so it's Grant's Interest Rate Journal. Uh, they put out a podcast called the Grant's Current Yield Podcast. Um, and it was, it's, uh, they were very, they were very bullish on the market. They were saying they expect us to be going into a market upswing, which is really contrary to what you're hearing a lot of people say around town. Everybody's saying, oh, it's overinflated, it's overinflated, it's overinflated. One of the key metrics that they were pointing to is the, uh, is how despite unemployment going down or going so far up during uh, the coronavirus, personal wealth, personal income actually went up overall. Whereas you would think personal wealth, personal income would go down when a bunch of people lose their jobs. But because of the stimulus, because people were getting unemployment benefits, um, personal wealth went up. So you've got more money per capita in the system. And then, you know, people are investing in the market and people still have cash reserves and whatever. So um, they were, they were very bullish. And I was, uh, I hadn't heard that tone from anywhere. So I thought that was interesting. No. And I think there's two things that go along with that. First off, if you predict uh, a crash, you know, some type of crash in the next week, you probably will be on CNBC because the negativity bias, unfortunately, gets people into the general media um, quicker than somebody with a positive spin. So the one thing I love about this kind of podcasting and the new media is it, these opinions can get out there um, and we can start to listen to that. Uh, and I do think, you know, I think we were talking about this when you just look at the, the habits of the people around you, 
you know, what are people doing? What are people buying? Um, I, I think you and I both kind of agree that people are saving more money than they were, let's just say a year ago. You know, they're not taking expensive vacations. They're not uh, overspending uh, at restaurants. You know, they're not, they're not doing things that, um, you know, buying things on credit. Uh, if they are purchasing things, it's something like a house. Uh, so they are, they're, they're starting to add value to the system and create their own personal wealth. Uh, you said that there was, uh, there's an increase in um, investors in the market, new investors, which that would be a, a generally positive thing. And I think, um, you know, from looking at it, when you give a company money, they're going to try to put that, uh, that resource to a pretty efficient use. So if you're doing that, I think, you know, investing in Google or something else, you know, Google just raised some of their prices for some of their stuff in their, their uh, spot. So their price is going to go up. Um, you know, you give it to United Healthcare or you give it to Medtronic, they're going to try to put that to an efficient use. So I think that's really a good, really a good thing for, for them. Um, uh, you're seeing it firsthand. A lot of my friends are seeing it firsthand. Housing prices in the suburbs um, and in smaller cities. I mean, obviously people are leaving New York and LA, but um, all of your other cities, people are putting offers in on houses that are 10 to 20% above asking price just to even be in the runnings. I mean, it's pretty crazy. It is. And I think that's something that I've been seeing. We're looking at. Uh, so we live in, in the twin cities, like in, in St. Paul, which is more, is definitely a larger, large city. We're looking at moving out and we are running up against houses that are on the market for a day and they have two offers. You know, there's one house that we liked, I think a month ago. Um, and it was a really, really an awesome place. And it, we, we said, Oh, we want to see this. It was a weekend and we thought we were on top of it. And they said, Oh, the offer's already been placed and that's been accepted. So, you know, it's a pretty quick market, but that's something we're trying to, trying to do. But I do think there's a lot of, there's a lot of houses out there. There also are a lot of people trying to dump their houses too. <laughs> so there's a lot of overpriced houses that actually stay on the market for a long time. So there still is that control. It's not like people are just ripping their hair out and jumping into a, a house. Um, Cause we're seeing some kind of dumpy places that are not, uh, not getting purchased. So. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. But I are think, you... I think it'll, I think the markets for houses in the suburbs or, you know, outside of the city, I think, I do think that'll stay high. Um, you know, I think there's a couple factors. I think there's a, a little bit of um, concern with the unrest that's going on in some of the cities. And I think people that are thinking about, you know, having children, there's been some concerns around that, you know, I don't want that. There's some, you know, in, in our city, there's a big problem with homeless population. And so they're starting to worry that's devaluing some houses in the area. Um, really? Are you, how are you noticing it? Uh, so the big thing that happened is a, a large hospital went under or uh, basically they, they fired, I think, 900 employees. Uh, so the hospital let it go and they're turning it into a homeless shelter. Which one? Bethesda. Oh. So that was a hospital. They flipped into a COVID hospital and then didn't see any patients. And now oh. they're 
and it used to be, I think it, it had a, a variety of different specialties in it. Uh, but, you know, they laid off a lot of employees and they are talking about selling it to the city for a housing, a homeless housing project. So all the neighbors showed up, you know, it's pretty difficult to go from a hospital to a homeless shelter. And they said, you know, increase in prostitution and drug dealing and all these things. Um, so there was a pretty large discussion, but it's just things like that. That's, you know, get people nervous around living in a city. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what the right answer is, if that's what's going to happen in the future. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it is kind of, there was, I think the last five years or 10 years, there was such a high on living in the city and you and I both, you know, we did it, we still are doing it and it's great. Um, I just think there's somewhat of a transition. I just, I still think the city is going to be a great place to live. Um, it's just a matter of what part of town I think people are moving out of these other parts of town. Um, you know, if you're, so that, that's kind of what we're seeing in terms of the market, at least in, in our area. So it's been really, really interesting, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's crazy. You had mentioned that, um, if you announce on the stock market, you know, if it bleeds, it leads sort of thing. You know, if you announce that there's going to be a crash or whatever, you get more airtime. Um, I, I noticed this on ESPN recently. Uh, and I don't know. I think Disney is, isn't okay. Does, does Comcast own Disney or, or not? I can't remember, but um, the, uh, I know that um, Disney owns ESPN and ESPN, I've just, I occasionally tune into their web programs. I don't ever watch any of the TV show, um, but I'll check sports scores or whatever when I'm bored, at, you know, as a break or something. And I found that every clip that they play on ESPN is just a yelling match. Like every... It, there's no longer like any sort of insightful analysis about what's going on. Well, they got that even a Smith. Oh my God. They're just yelling at each other. And the louder, the, the louder, the argument, the longer they're going to play it on their homepage, which is just, it's insulting. And it's just, I don't know. It's so frustrating to see that like nothing thoughtful is, is content that, that is being, um, promoted. It's just this, like, it's this emotional stuff. Like, I don't know, people want to get fired up. Like I just, the, what sparked it was this video of this, uh, announcer who's a football guy and he, um, was frustrated by the jets and the giants performance. So he goes on a several minute rant where he's usually a composed guy and he's just yelling. And obviously this video gets promoted um, and they're like, oh, you know, this person blows up about NFL football. And it's like, we are honest to God in the seventh grade sharing rumors about people. And then we're like productizing the, the experience of emotional reactions to people or to things. Like that's what they sell is like, here's an emotional reaction to sports. This guy is to mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this girl is mad. Yeah. Listen to them be mad. And then it's, oh, Antonio Brown got arrested for X. You know, it's like, those are the, you know, it's always, I always look at ESPN too. That's kind of been my, my go-to 
you know, just like, I need a break. I'm going to search something type thing. Uh, and if you look at that right ribbon, which is like the addictive part, there's like three of the 10 or four of the 10 are just like, you know, this person got arrested or this coach got fired or, you know, they just, it is that sensationalism of the, the negativity. And what's been interesting is, you know, this, the thing that always just baffles me is there's always this comparison of like LeBron James to Michael Jordan. And then there's two people that argue both sides. And it's like, I don't know how much longer we can argue LeBron James versus Michael Jordan. And what does that do for anyone? Like, are we moving the ball forward in our lives whatsoever? Obviously not, but that's just really, it's just like, that is the content. And I remember I was like the young boy that sat in front of ESPN and just soaked it up. Because first of all, we didn't have cable. So when we go on vacations and we would have ESPN, I would get up as early as possible. And it was like soaking up the scores. You know, it was a a much different world. And it's just really hard to see ESPN come this far um, to to where we are today. And, uh, you know, that's where I think we're we're now to the age where we can start saying, oh, the good old days. Um, But (laughs) sort of. But what I I, what I think they're doing um is i think they're serving up content i think i think it's a meme i think it's a um i mean free thought is on its way out let's just be honest right (laughs) i mean like creativity overall (laughs) and expression and like originality is being severely challenged by its ability to be confined and expressed within a social media post. Like those are the boundaries now. So you can yeah, still be creative or whatever. Four characters. Yeah. But it's got to fit within these constraints. And so what I think that they're doing is I think they're pushing narratives that can be re- that can be talked about on social media and can be talked about in person to give people content to interact with each other that they don't have to really think about originally themselves. Like you can have a bunch of people who are not very smart and have an MJ, a a very animated MJ versus LeBron anecdotal discussion that that leads nowhere in the world, but people will enjoy the act of investing themselves in a side and having an opinion on something. Yeah. And so I think that these pundits are like just trying to serve up these softball things that people can argue about. And they're just being expressions of either side for the sake of like there it's become a meme. You know what I mean? In terms of which I think meme is a hard word to define. Would you be able to define the word meme? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really just short term hit of entertainment. Yeah. It's like a term hit. Yeah. It's like a short cultural commentary, short, easily shareable cultural commentary piece of information that um, usually elicits some sort of response out of people. Yeah. It's like one emotion. It's like anger, laughter, frustration, you know, like hits the top, what are the six emotions that you have or four emotions? 
Yeah, so, and, I, and I, I just see ESPN doing that all of the time is like trying to trying to serve up memes to people as opposed to like what journalism or any sort of like actual and I mean analysis or I don't know and if you want to watch a person who is really who delivers an absolutely crushing blow go on YouTube and search Mark Cuban Skip Bayless Mark Cuban goes on ESPN and tears Skip Bayless an absolute new one it is fantastic oh my god because Skip Bayless was on the news talking about how like you know what happened? Dallas wanted it, or LeBron wanted it more. He came out and he took the ball and he scored 35 points. He just wanted it more. And then Mark Cuban was like, that is the greatest oversimplification and most uninformed and stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. The reason he wasn't able, it's not like anybody ever wants it more. It was the game plan. You're discrediting the entire opposing team by just saying like, oh, some days he just doesn't want it. It's like, no, they came out and they did their jobs and they had a better game plan and they executed and they kicked him out of his usual flow. Like you have to give credit to the other team. And he goes on for like three minutes berating Skip and it's just so refreshing. And it's like, oh, that's why you're a multi-billionaire and this other guy sits and jaw jacks on the screen all the time and has high blood pressure. <laughs> you know? He's got, he has, he's worth about what? Uh, 200, uh, one, 200, oh. what this guy's worth. Exactly. Yeah. Just refreshing to be like, finally somebody's serving these guys a taste of their own medicine because I'm just getting sick and tired of listening to it. Oh, it's really frustrating. And I think, you know, as a, as a whole, the entire media industry is turning into short-term consumable, you know, it's moving away from investigative journalism into, you know, all this, like basically our definition of a meme, you know, what's a headline that we can splash out there that maybe it's true, maybe it's not, you know, we'll kind of leave it very vague and then get reactions. And, you know, I, w- I think personally, I've been trying to turn more into reading, you know, longer form uh, information. And the best way is through books. You know, that's like the ultimate. Um, but it is hard because you, you do have this desire to like, quote, be informed, which I don't even know if that's like, is being informed your duty as a community member? I don't know. Because right now, I don't really even know what informed means. Well, I have so little trust in the information that I get from news outlets that it's even hard for me to make opinions off of what I hear because I know that whatever I'm being fed is so slanted that Well, yeah, it's, you know, I've actually had a personal experience in this in, in this um in this vein and the information that was supposedly from a reputable, you know, local newspaper was completely misrepresented. Um, you know, and I, you know, I am the person that knows that because it was me. So it's just, it's pretty, that, that broke my trust a long time ago. But man, it's, it's really difficult to, to see what's happening. Um, but I do think, you know, one thing that that brings up is like the opportunity for people that don't follow that path to go ahead and create something very valuable and separate themselves even more. So if you are, 
putting your nose down and working in creating something that has value, you now have less competition because there are more people out there doing this other thing. So if you're trying to create a company or create these other things, you know, and you're reading books and educating yourself and, you know, going to school or, you know, really educating yourself, I do think you are in a good position. And I think they, you know, when they talk about, you know, they talk about kind of the K-shaped growth, you know, of, of the virus where the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. I think this is one of the examples of if you, it doesn't really matter what part, if you're poor or rich, it's just what, what you decide to do. If you decide to invest in things that provide true value, you're going to get, you're going to move up. And if you, you know, invest in things that are short-term focused, they're dopamine centric, you know, they don't really provide value to the world. You know, you're sitting there clicking buttons all day, but you're not actually creating anything. I think those are like right now is a really interesting time to see how people respond and react to some of these kind of factors. Yeah, absolutely is. Uh, One of the other things I thought they made fun of on SNL, which they did a good job of was talking about how frequently people are using the terms like unprecedented (laughs) and uh, in times like these, (laughs) I luckily don't pay attention to any like, you know, TV or advertisements or whatever. But um, I know that if I've caught a football game, all of the advert, it'd be interesting to have somebody from the ad industry uh, to talk with somebody like one of our friends who's, you know, square in the middle of like, okay, obviously the, uh, the ability to convert your advertisements into coronavirus, like sensitive things has, you know, been going on for a long time what's the next play, you know, cause some yeah. people are starting to make fun of it. Like on SNL in terms of making fun of how people re- relate to it. Obviously you can't make fun of the coronavirus itself, but um, be interesting to see where the, uh, the ads go. It'd be interesting to see the uh, Super Bowl because usually they um, are working on these advertisements for a year for a year or so, but the coronavirus would really throw some wrenches into whatever message you were going to be spinning previously. So this could be an exciting year uh, where typically, you know, I think the ads have gotten more kind of bland over the years just because of, uh, you know, sensitivities and things like that. Well, yeah, it's like tough guys like beer, tough guys like trucks, you know, just like, you know, we, we support, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to know what, uh, I mean, the Super Bowl is going to be, that's going to be something that, talk about a you know one of the most lucrative sporting events having to be changed you know seeing how they're going to handle the super bowl will be fascinating oh goodness um or the olympics like think about tokyo building all of that infrastructure for it to be delayed <laughs> i mean that would be you have all of these assets sitting on your books and no way to utilize them <laughs> oh my gosh i know yeah. i think the I'm not sure if uh, they got the Super Bowl at Vegas this year, but I know that they were going to start playing games in the Vegas um, um, stadium, uh, which would, by by the way, it was enough of a circus when the Super Bowl came to Minneapolis. I cannot imagine what Las Vegas would do if they had the Super Bowl there. That's I I think what you're describing, that exact phrase, is what every – major casino owner in Vegas wants to happen because they just know people are going to say, 
we're going to go big. I'm going to do this. I'm going to spend, you know, that's kind of the, you were seeing people do that. I think around us, you know, like, you know, at the Super Bowl is only going to come to Minneapolis this many times. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to spend the money on the ticket. So it would be really interesting to see the ticket values of those, you know, Vegas ticket. Mm-hmm. I, like, yeah, you just have to buy out hotels the next year for every year, you know, for the next five years, buy out a hotel room and try to sell it. <laughs> Probably not a bad idea. I bet they have some restrictions on that, but um, it wouldn't be risk. a bad investment. Uh, this year it's going to be in, I think it's going to be in Tampa, it says. But oh, the, sir, actually that will be great because you know what? They're still going to sell tickets to that mother. <laughs> Warmer temperature, I know. <laughs> well, and it's in Florida. Florida, I saw a picture of the uh, University of Florida football game. There were a lot of people in the stands. SEC, baby. They're running They're running with it. Yep, and if that means your coach gets COVID, so be it. Then he takes a couple weeks off. He's back out on the field, and, you know, season goes on, and now he's immune. So that's right? – I mean, he's he's arguably the biggest coach – so we're talking about Nick Saban of Alabama got the got COVID and it's actually it, probably one of their most important games of the season this year. Do they play Con- Clemson? They play Georgia. Oh, because Georgia's undefeated and they've all met in the SEC championship like the last few years. Mm-hmm. But you know him not being there is a big deal. And two, I mean he's an older guy. He's not. I mean, he's was he sixty late sixties? Yep, he's in decent shape though. You know, he's in awesome shape. Yeah. So he'll be fine. Yeah. Well, that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week and we'll be back kicking it here in the rumpus room. <laughs>